0: huge agencies big agencies they don't know anything about food they have no clue about what goes on behind the restaurant behind the production process or what drives a consumer so i said okay these amazing agencies they are so good at what they do but they don't have a clue about the food industry they have a guy who probably has doritos and red bull for lunch and he's doing a strategy for how to launch i don't know like a A new restaurant or something. Love
1: that kind of lunch. Love that. (laughs)
2: I'm more of a Celsius guy myself.
1: Welcome to the next episode of Pancom Podcast, featuring Petey the Dog, that's not even really here.
2: Apologies to everyone who can't see Petey the Dog. Petey the Dog is, in fact, not here. However... You are still listening to Pankong Podcast. We're going to switch it up. I'm going to do a little bit of shameless plugging here. Subscribe to Pankong Podcast if you haven't already all over the place. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wow. Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify. We're even on iHeartRadio. Wow. I'm not even sure who uses that,
1: but we're, we're really, on iHeartRadio. We're really starting the podcast off needy, huh? That's right. Super needy. Yeah, just needy. like super needy. Thirsty is what the kids Actually, say. Actually, we're going to do our shameless plugs now and final recommendations, and we're out of here. See you guys later. <laughs> The fuck! <laughs> listen,
2: <laughs> listen. We're trying to get that uh, you know YouTube monetization stuff, right? So, yeah. get on YouTube.
1: So, only the people that look at our face for the first forty-five seconds and then they're out of here. That's right. All right, good.
2: That's right. That's how that's how all these YouTube channels get away with claiming that they're better than TV shows is, oh yeah, the weird metrics. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Today we are joined by special guest Nidal Barake. Um I will leave it. To the two of you to explore what Nidal does. Great. Because it's so many things. Yeah. That there's. I don't think that there's a way for me to do a neat introduction without somebody telling me, no, Nick, you fucked that up. Yeah. So, uh. So, uh. I will let you guys jump right into what the hell we're doing here. All
1: right. Wow. What a setup, huh? I do have I'm to a say. Pro. I'm a pro. I, I feel like you're. Uh, kind of like you remember the Dos Equis man, the most interesting man, but like that for the food industry, right? Because then it's like you could be hanging out with me and having a cup of coffee, and then like two days later, you're with like Alex Atala, like hanging out in like the Himalayas, just like I don't know, spear fishing. He, i, I like it's if, very strange. He's
2: like if the most interesting man in the world use a little just for men. Right. <laughs>
1: That's good. That's good, Nick. That's that, that up. I know, but I get it. It's a very it, and then you know you you have. Your own company you're involved in separate things so before we get into like more about you tell us about what it is you do for a living so people understand
0: okay what I do for a living well um, my name is Nidal thanks for the the intro Um, I come from the telecom and media uh, industries Uh, mobile mobile payments that was still I love that word Um, and that's how I used to pay the bills Oh. But I've been involved in food since I was a child I, I was born and raised in Venezuela from Lebanese parents And in Lebanese culture, like food is a, a big thing like, yeah. For us, no matter what you're doing, you better be there at 12.30, sit at the table, enjoy uh, lunch uh, cool. with the family and everything So food was always um, important for, uh, for me, it's part of uh, what I am and so after many years in the mobile and tech industry i I, while i was uh, head of a digital agency digital marketing agency we had a partnership with ogilvy which is like a huge one of the biggest marketing agencies in the world and we were like their digital branch no and i realized there and nothing again i love what ogilvy does i mean those guys I mean, they know what they're doing, but huge agencies, big agencies, they don't know anything about food. They have no clue about what goes on behind the restaurant, behind yeah. the pro- production process, or what drives a consumer. So I said, okay, these amazing agencies, they are so good at what they do, but they don't have a clue about the food industry. They have a guy who probably has Doritos and Red Bull for lunch, and he's doing a strategy for how to launch, I don't know, like a... A new restaurant or something. Love
1: that kind of lunch. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> I'm more of a Celsius so, guy myself.
0: That, and that's how Glutonomy was born. Glutonomy is my current uh, uh, com, I mean, company and, and work. It's what I do now. And basically, it's a marketing agency for the food industry. So we work with uh, chefs, with restaurants, and with food and beverage brands. Uh, we're like a, a full-service agency. But, of course, we, we cannot do... I think we cannot do... We cannot be as good as I want to be in on everything, so we focus on branding, on digital strategy. Uh, that allows me to maintain uh, contact and uh, uh, connection with the food industry, but from a business perspective, from a consulting perspective.
1: Just so I understand, when you say digital strategy, what exactly does that mean? Because I'm already confused.
0: Yeah. Uh... For example, when a brand, and every time I, I'll talk about a client or a brand, I'm referring to clients like uh, that include chefs, restaurants, and food and beverage brands. Okay. So when we d- develop a strategy, it can be like launch a new product or uh, do a new campaign. Uh, we, we do, uh, when we talk about digital, we talk about social media, we talk about web presence, we talk about interaction with, through a mobile app, for example, right. uh, digital ads. But, and this is so weird, but after COVID, when everything went digital, we started also doing some more like physical activations. Right. In, like, we needed, like, we started doing or bringing those experiences for brands at home for people. So, for example, with Perrier, uh, we started creating like mixology kits for people to make oh, yeah, cocktails yeah. at home. So even though the world was going full on digital mode, we, we started working more on experiences for people to enjoy at home.
1: Yeah. And that did really well during Coke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, still, it's, it still does pretty well now, I think.
0: I, I think the good thing about it is like people got on, appreci- started appreciating it. And yeah, it's nice to go to a restaurant. It's nice to uh, to go to a bar, but it's also nice to invite some friends and do some cocktails for them or cook right. for them. So people who didn't cook at the uh, before COVID, they started cooking. They started appreciating uh, where or understanding where people comes from and the process behind everything. So I think it was positive to to bring awareness of all the hard work that uh restaurants and bars do like yeah just to understand what goes behind that great meal
1: well i think i mean it also shows like how valuable those things are to people's everyday life absolutely you know like because when there's no one to cook for you anymore then you got to cook for yourself and you haven't cooked shit or made a cocktail ever exactly kind of like so what do we do now that's why, you know, the evil empire of Uber Eats does so well. It's things like that. So, okay. So, digital strategy, marketing, branding. Um.
0: Yeah, we do a lot of curatorship too. Um, for example, uh, later this year, there's a big, uh, I call it food hall because it's the, same, the best description that I can give or find. Uh, but it's like a historic building in downtown Miami. Uh, that's going to have, like, different uh, food concepts. Right. Uh, So we did all the curatorship for, I mean, we did the branding and the concept, but the most important part of the work that we did there is uh, the curatorship. So bringing the different uh, chefs and concepts, not only from Miami, but from other cities in the U.S., from other countries. So we do a lot of curatorship that, just as you mentioned at the beginning, like, uh, like, for example like knowing that all those chefs from around the world uh what value does it bring bes- besides like yeah I'm good friend with them and everything but how would that affect for example our business or the city where I live in so yeah I have the, all these big connections and thanks to those big connections maybe we did a dinner with uh, Massimo Bottura or yep, Rodolfo right Guzman or Micha <laughs> or we can bring those names and and Uh, Chefs to maybe local projects. So I think it's also like I'm originally from Venezuela. I've been living here in Miami for six years. But feeling Miami like my own now, I think it's what I can do uh, in order to make Miami like a better culinary uh, scene or uh, city.
1: So you've only been here for six years. Yes. How long has Glutonomy been around?
0: Five and a half years. Oh,
1: so right, right yeah. as soon as you no, got the, here.
0: The reason I moved to Miami was to, I mean, I was, I knew I wanted to open uh But and we're not going to go into like political issues or anything, but right. I was living in Venezuela at the time. Uh, there was no way I could do that in Venezuela uh, because we were like isolated from, from the rest of the world. So U.S. made sense, but I still, I didn't want to lose the Latin American connection. Right. So Miami was a no brainer. No brainer. Yeah.
1: Five and a half years. What are some highlights?
0: Well, uh, five and a half years. uh, And this is a a phrase I always repeat. And the first time I heard it, I heard it from Zach. Oh, yeah. Zach the Baker. It's like, I learned where we're good at and where we're not good, that good at. Right. So we start at the beginning when you start the company, you need to make revenue so you start like every you should do uh, everything that moves you yeah you should like anything and everything yeah uh so we did like website like what's your budget uh one thousand dollars oh we'll take it yeah or start doing like we we did a lot of social media um we took website works for nothing uh losing money just having that success story uh there right right. about With time, we, we learn where we, we add value and where we add value basically are those things that I mentioned, like that network mm-hmm. of uh, chefs and restaurants uh, that we have, how, how can we leverage that, um, create opportunities for the network and for, for the community and for the industry. So uh, again, and let's say I'm, I work with chef, I don't know, X, Y, and Z uh in peru uh so i i mean it's not only for miami like hey i'm bringing this amazing chef to miami but for this chef like hey i'm open, opening the doors for you to go into the u.s market so at the end of the, right, end of the day right. it's a win-win uh situation uh, and other things that we learned that i i i, I like to talk about in uh, a I mean, I'm very close to the restaurant industry. All my friends are, like, most of my friends are chefs or restaurateurs and everything. And one of the things that I saw firsthand during COVID is how fragile the restaurant industry is. And one of the things that I've been telling without sounding like, uh, how we say in Spanish, pesetero, like, very, like, uh, business-oriented or anything, is, like, we we need to start looking at restaurants as businesses and not as restaurants, because when and when we define what's success for a restaurant, and before it was like yeah I have X amount of Instagram followers or <laughs> I have right. I was a I don't know James Beard nominee or whatever, right. but then uh, maybe you're not paying enough uh, to your uh, employees. Or you're not providing value to your consumers or even like revenues to your investors so uh the things that we used to measure a restaurant success before and not necessarily the the things that we need to to take into account to measure a, a successful restaurant as a business just to be a sustainable business to do the things that we want to do which is pay good salaries a provide value to the community, to our consumers, um, and being just like a a great place for for the city.
1: It's interesting. That's an interesting topic because I think the restaurant industry, and I'm sure there's others like this, like there's no clear-cut blueprint to say that this is how a restaurant should operate for it to be successful. And, you know, I'm fortunate that we've been fairly successful and I'm still pretty young but one thing I the conversations I have with people about restaurants and that they're basically like foundation business stuff I feel like sometimes it's a little bit lost and I think a lot of that has to do with following another an older model saying you know however many followers you may have or yeah. if you were a beard nominee or if you were like no that shit really fucking matters man because if it's- you can't if you don't payout investment yeah. you know if there's not proper revenue streams if there's if you're not working with the right margins if you're not you yeah. know checking everything from top to bottom bro it doesn't matter exactly it, it really it really does not matter and it's what, not sustainable right I, I mean there was a great article and i don't remember what it was but there was like a restaurant that was in bon Appetit's top 25 mm-hmm. and it won this might have been like three years ago maybe and it won awards or whatever. It didn't last a year. Yeah. It didn't make it a year, because the business model was flawed, and the business model could be flawed from so many angles. All of it starts from your lease, anyways. But absolutely, even from like how you structure your business from top to bottom. It's just like it's frustrating to me because it, it, that's that's why there's so many good restaurants that aren't successful because of those things. Yeah. You know? But.
0: I mean, I think though all those accolades and awards and everything are a consequence uh, of doing the the right things. I think they're and good. Some, they're great. Yeah, they and some own. restaurants they they are great businesses, and some of them they don't have they don't receive those accolades or recognition, but they're. I mean, I'm, I bet their employees and owners and cons- and diners are super happy. So, but I think I think there's a I mean, you cannot... For uh, I mean, you have to take account into account both things. I mean, right. yeah, it's nice to receive some recognition, and yeah, it sure. helps. I mean, for, like, talking about, like, the list, like 50 best or James Beard and everything, and some people criticize them.
1: Michelin be- stars?
0: Yeah, because they are, like, a PR game or marketing and everything, so whoever has the best PR is the one who gets into the 50 best or whatever. But at the end of the day, and I, I know this firsthand from some chefs, they also bring business, bring people uh, and save businesses, Uh, Rodolfo Guzman from Borago, who he was famous before in like abroad than in Chile, Mm. Uh, like people started going to his restaurant in Chile, like locals, because like, oh, this guy is so famous abroad, like, let's go see what he's doing. He, He said like, if it wasn't because of 50 best, he was ready to close his restaurant because Locals were not getting what he was doing at uh, his restaurant. So, right. yeah, I mean, those lists, uh, I mean, if we take them for what they are and I mean, yeah, they bring people, they bring attention. So why not?
1: I think that there's a certain level that PR helps, but it. I don't think it's everything, uh, this, you know, yeah. and, and like I have a PR agency, we have a publicist. There's only so much that they could do. They're not going to get you nominated for the Beard Award. Oh, no. They're, they're not going to get you nominated for the 50 best. They're, like, you got to follow through. You got to do your thing. Absolutely. I mean, I I honestly know very little about the 50 best, to be honest. Like, I mean, I, I know who's on it. It's yeah. just like, um, I, we just don't see much of that around here, I would say. But it's like, those things do make a difference. Like, if you're, and I do believe in hard copy in, in opposed to, like, There's so much more value in some of the things that you mentioned over social media for me. Absolutely. Like, I think social media is very, like, it's like a fleeting thing. It's like you have a cute post today. You better have a cute post tomorrow. You're going to need a cute post on the third day. And that's really it. That's only because, you know, people's, like, attention span is very small. But it's like, it's, it's that kind of thing. Social media doesn't mean that you're necessarily good at your job. I don't know how many more cookies I need to see broken in half or how many more fucking... Macaroni and cheeses, I need cheeses pulled. It's just like – but, you know, I I would say that when I go somewhere, like I go out of town, I'll often look at like, okay, is there Michelin stars there? Is there beard nominees there? Is there top 50s there? And those are the places that I'm going to go to. Yeah. I'll rarely look at their Instagram ever. I'll look at their website after and I'll look at what's on their menu, but I'm not going to go to be like – and maybe if I want to see a picture of a dish, maybe – I'll also think if the photography is trash, then I'd probably take that in consideration too. I, you know, but it's like yeah. the last thing that I really look at. Those things that you mentioned, I, I think that there's more. And people could say that it's political or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that there is there is some there is some truth to it Yeah. at the end of the day, but there's still people that always get overlooked and people that should have gotten nominated or won things that didn't win no. things.
0: I mean, like always, yeah, there's um. There's the game like the marketing game and the PR game, but I mean the PR and the marketing again i'm I'm not pro PR per se, uh, and people have been asking me all the time if we're gonna do PR, you tell me and we, we don't want because I don't know much about it in terms of uh, like media and everything. and second, I, I believe there are so some other things uh, that are more important than PR. But on the other hand, yes, you can use PR to get there. But you get PR to get the attention. But then, if you don't have anything,
1: right?
0: I mean, you if you don't have anything to show, then you're wasting your money with PR because when people arrive, uh, you have nothing to show, or they will realize it's all like smoke and mirrors and everything. Yeah, I
1: mean, I I think when it comes to um, like, pub- I obviously like my publishers a lot. Larry, we talk about Larry He's all the great. time. Larry is amazing. But I look at them a lot in the way of like, you know, we're opening. Here's an opening thing. What are we doing? It's also like, so we've been open for four years or five years. Here's this email about a thing. Consume this email. Tell me what it is. Is it worth our time? This is something that we entertain or not. Or they get contacted by something and then, you know, it fits into the mold. It's like there's... It's not like a magic wand.
0: No, it's not.
1: You know, there's. I I feel like there's a lot of people that have this, like, false interpretation of what PR really does. PR is not going to put you on the front page of the New York Times. Yeah. You may get there, but it's probably not going to be them. Yeah. It's probably... And, like, the New York Times also doesn't go through PR companies. Exactly. So it's like, shit like that, I don't... You know, like we were on that piece in the Washington Post, like they contacted me directly.
0: Exactly. It's, it's pure journalism. It's, right. It's yeah.
1: not like uh, they're not calling Larry, like, hey, we have the story. Which one of your clients yeah. do you think?
0: No, I have clients, like, or not clients, like potential clients. We go to a meeting, like, start like the briefing process and everything. And like, yeah, I want to be on TV and I'm having this big opening and I want to be, I want like Channel 4 or whatever to come here and cover it. And I'm like, I'm not your guy. I mean, that's not what I do. And I don't know if that's what you need. I mean. Right. But it's it's what's on people's uh, minds.
1: But I also think that a lot of that, it, the world of media is so, like, weird. I don't even know. It's like, I don't know how else to put it. Skewed, weird. Like, when we talk about media or journalism, I guess you would say it's like, how many real journalists are actually left? How many real like media outlets are left? That's not just like this weird. Is it really social media? Is it media? Is this really journalism, yeah. or is this like? It's very strange. It's very, like there's a lot of gray in between all that. So, you know, and I, I bring it up because mm-hmm. I've been told by national media uh-huh. or journalism, whatever, that I'm too hyper local, and I'm like, I, I still, I still don't know. That. Yes, you're right. I am, but. It's, that's good for me exactly. I don't know about for you I don't know if you want me to like you want me to like you know tout another city it doesn't make any sense I don't know it's all very confusing for me like it, the whole thing it, it's even like locally some of the shit that I see my company and other people doing that doesn't get covered by media or journalists but then some of the most random dumb shit does yeah and I'm just kind of like I'm confused no I don't really get it like You know, uh Itame did that great dinner with Timon. I barely saw any burn about that anywhere in like journalism media. We did that tasting last week, which was I think some of the best food we've ever done, for sure. Um nobody cares media wise, a lot of people care. Yeah. But media wise, nobody gave a fuck either. And it was just kinda like and that's fine with me. Like, I'm, I don't want them to be like, oh, yeah, we love you so much. I don't care. Just follow the things that matter, you know? And I think it's just so skewed.
0: Yeah. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's the the audience. One, and I'm not, I mean, I've been always um, very critical about Miami in terms of, like, food journalism and yeah, yeah. like so like what like influencers and all that game and actually the like all the i mean and if somebody's listening to this probably, it probably doesn't fall into that group but they listen yeah they may not like <laughs> me or us no but they listen yeah but i think also like what what does the the average reader uh wants so what type of uh, information they they consume and Again, uh, you look at what's being covered in media or which, like, and well, there's... Air quotes, a, there's, they're all there.
1: Everyone sees them.
0: Yeah, these are air video. quotes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like all these, like, food bloggers and influencers and everything. And you see the ones that have, like, most followers or the ones that get more coverage. And it's that's not what I want right. for my city. That's not what I believe. Uh, it's the best, for the best interest of the the restaurants they cover or the restaurants that they don't cover because they don't get it. Right. But again, I think it's a mix of what information we put out there and also what information uh, people want to consume. So, yeah, it's it's bad for media not to cover that Itamai Timon's dinner, but would people care or they care more about... I don't know, like this celebrity opening a restaurant in South Beach with nice decor and shitty food, I mean. The
1: Wharf opens up now in West Palm Beach in a man-made lake. 47,000 likes, 364 clicks an hour. There you go. That's, I mean, sadly, that's the truth. I, but I think my, what I would say in response is the people that, the people that do care will click on that and then we'll read about it. You know, and, and if it's 30 more people or 50 more people or 100 more people that knew about it before,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that's a huge difference for that, for that business and for those chefs. You know, like Timon, obviously, has gotten a, a lot of publicity, well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, and so has Itame. But still, locally, you're trying to sell. They're trying to sell tickets they're trying to do things for this dinner maybe they could have done it two nights i don't know there's a lot of things that go into i, it.
0: I was personally and i don't know if, if we want to go into details i was, i went to timon's and eat my dinner oh. and i was surprised it wasn't packed i'm like dude this is like one of the nicest restaurants in miami with one of the best re- chefs as a guest in miami there should be a line there should be like waiting list of 50 people right uh, but I don't know. I mean
1: it's I mean that to me I think it's more of lack it's more of a lack of awareness than it yeah. is people that wanna go. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. I mean I think if more people knew about it <coughs> because if you want to go towards social media, there's only X amount of people that have access to Itame's Instagram or yeah. Timon's Instagram or whatever or B side's Instagram to know about this dinner. Yeah. For it to get sold the right way and so on and so forth. I like yeah. The media can help there. Yeah, but But then also what they're gonna ask for, like let's say it's a quote unquote influencer. Uh I want to then I want two tickets.
0: Ah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's that's not community support. And I'm very sorry. That's a bunch of fucking trash. Absolutely. That's not you helping shit. That's you helping yourself. And like it's a gimme gimme society. It's that's why that's why there's such a lack of community.
0: Yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong and. You know this better than I because sure. you run uh, like a restaurant group. Is that coming – I, I don't know if I should – I'm the one who should be asking you questions. But no, it's Is cool. that coming down like all those like influencers? And no, the it's hype, not anything. It's not?
1: No, I just – what I love is that there's people that obviously don't do proper research on me. Uh-huh. And then they just send the texts, right? Hi, I'm so and so from where whatever and blah blah and we feature so and so and this and that or whatever and it's just kinda like I I don't okay. I don't care who you are. Yeah. I don't you wanna come in for dinner, I can make your reservation, you're gonna pay full price. Exactly. You know, I'll go maybe me or someone else will go say hi. I yeah, don't yeah. really know. But I don't know and my favorite is the ones that have less social media following than you do. <laughs> That's like the best. And it's just like now I definitely don't get your metric. Like I don't understand what you're getting yeah. at. But that is not over. Okay. It's really okay. not. I think that they're like, and I've said it openly, there's, there's, I guess if you want to call them influencers, you know, that are not like that. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of great ones that do like great things, but I consider them more like supporters of the community. Uh,
0: absolutely. And they are, yeah, I, I hate, uh, I, I, I've i been called the influencer, food blogger,
1: uh, before, even but though that's it's, why it's important. We told everyone what you actually yeah, do.
0: Like that's great. They told me food blogger, and I had a blog like in 2002. That's, that's, a, a, long, that's a long time ago. That, now that's my last. So about 19 blog, years. My lag, last blog post was like 20, 19 years ago. So don't call me a food blogger anymore. We're gonna have to
1: search
2: that up, Nick. <laughs> We're gonna have to search <laughs> what was, for that. What was this blog called? It
0: was called Yo Culinario. Oh, there it is. Oh. Yeah, and I actually relate a lot to you because the logo is a uh, flying
1: pig. That's amazing. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Yeah, exactly. But did he have wings or did he have a parachute? Wings. That's, ah, well, no. That's yeah. different. <laughs> it's, different. it's different. It was it's different.
2: more of a slowly dropping picture. Yeah, mine yeah. is
1: just like, we're flying with the wind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> good.
0: Um, so, um, but again, what's, and we can talk about this for hours. Again, I know. What's an influencer and what's a journalist or a chef or a restaurateur or a uh, or a foodie That I don't like food either That influences people f- For the content that they uh, publish no?
1: I've just learned more to appreciate the foodie Over all the other stuff Because like Even if they consider themselves a Air quotes We're back to the air quotes <laughs> A foodie At least they're not asking for a fucking handout Yeah, exactly They're just coming to eat food And they may not know anything Yeah But at least they're coming to eat, Just eat the food you Absolutely. know, and I think that's like a a big – to me, it's huge. They're just coming to eat, not asking for shit. Yeah, they may just want to talk too long and they don't really know anything about food. But at least they're just here to enjoy it. Yeah. So it's a weird world that I've actually come to like be like, nah, the foodie's is not so bad. <laughs> that, you know, I'm okay with it. It's fine. But, so I, I just – give us like a quick overview of like how you got, you know, like the whole – From like childhood to here, like a quick one of like how you learned to love food so much. And then to just being like six years ago, you're going to leave. You're going to go to Miami. You're going to start this company.
0: Okay. Um, So I mentioned earlier that I was born and raised in a Lebanese family. and Lebanese culture, food is really important. My mom is an amazing cook and all the things that are now like... uh, cool like zatar and labneh and all that right. like i grew up uh, eating uh, all that luckily uh and then i was born and raised in maracaibo in venezuela and it has one of the most exciting street food scenes in the world i compared it with mexico city or bangkok or or beirut so i grew up in between like that amazing like hearty meals at home but then this crazy street food Uh, that sounds like fun yeah no it it was i mean it was it was great and i so appreciated like cooking uh like when i was 16 or 17 like the way i would approach a girl like i would invite her to a restaurant and probably she would that was like her worst date ever imagine like a 16 year old girl going to a restaurant like uh, as a and you don't really
1: really know food at that time yeah exactly.
0: So, but I enjoyed restaurants. Uh, and my parents used to take me to all these restaurants and forget about ordering the chicken tenders. And like, you look at the menu, you order real food, no? So, yeah, I started like cooking and appreciating good food. Uh, during college, I, I cooked a lot. Uh, I mean, it was my thing. Like, I would bring my friends and cook for them or my girlfriend or anything. And then I moved to the, I, I, I graduated as an economist and I went to University of Delaware for my MBA oh cool we we make presidents now
1: yeah I see that
0: um so I was there with a budget of a college student but I wanted like I really wanted to eat well so I started to like cooking better and I had three roommates we were living in this house on campus and that was like the official cook of the of the house so I started like cooking better um like it was a thing like uh, we would get together invite friends and and then I graduated I started working for Ernst & Young and I mm-hmm. traveled so much as a young man uh, like consultant on uh, like tech and telecom consultant so I used to travel all over Latin America and when you were on the road working long hours and everything my my only like prize was okay I'm gonna have a nice dinner Right. So I used to like search about restaurants in every city and at the time it was business cards. So I'm talking oh, 98 that's 99 2000s nice. so I used to collect all those business cards of the restaurants that I like in Sao Paulo or Buenos Aires or Lima or Bogota. So
1: it's really all over the world. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. that's cool.
0: And I started to make I started making my own list like and people would tell me hey I'm going to Sao Paulo where should I go eat? and I would tell them okay go here and there um uh, and also like exploring markets and everything um so when then like i started the blog yo culinario uh writing about it wasn't more about like restaurant reviews it was more like experiences around food and saving the distance i always read it a lot with Anthony burdain because he was telling a story of a restaurant but not through... I mean, yeah, he talked about the food, but he also talked about the people behind it the and people. why they were cooking some uh, things. Uh, so I really appreciated that. So I started the, the blog. And uh, I remember, w- like, one, uh, like, uh, tipping point was I, w- I was coming back from a trip from Ireland. Uh, amazing trip to the south. Uh, we went to Dingle. Uh, we fished. We... I, I, We went to a restaurant, there were some Scottish cooks and we gave them the fish and they made an amazing meal. I mean, it was like unbelievable experience. And I'm telling this story to Ana Maria Kang, who at the time was the editor of a magazine called Complot. It was like the best magazine (coughs) in in Miami and sorry, Caracas. Tell me if I'm being too, if this is too long or... No, no, get in there. Uh So she's like, I'm telling her her about this uh, trip and she's like, this is amazing why don't you write this for the magazine? I'm like, I I don't have writing experience. Uh, she's like, just tell the story as you lift it. I'll help you with the article, editing, everything. We did it together. It was amazing. They loved it. Uh, so I was still traveling a lot by the time. So I ended up owning like the...
1: I think somebody's waiting for you. So I ended up... Uh... We have fans. Yeah. Surprise guests. Yeah.
0: Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Um, that was Paula, my girlfriend. Bye. Nice meeting you. Bye. Ciao. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Have fun. <laughs> yeah.
3: So I'm getting real sauced up. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: um, the article came out great, and it ended up owning like the travel and gastro like uh, food and travel section of the oh, of complots plots, and I, I have like dozens of articles published interviewing like. I was travel and have like Alex Atala or Fergus Henderson or Elena Rizzo. like.
1: Oh man, Fergus yeah. Henderson, what a legend! Yeah,
0: it's uh, I, that's I, we can have a whole show just about him. Um, I love that book. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it I mean, I, they started calling me from other magazines, from newspapers. Then social media came. Twitter was huge when it started, uh, so I was like a Twitter personality. I love Twitter and, still. <laughs> Twitter still is, you know, it's never been beaten. I still love it. Absolutely. So, yeah, it it was at at that moment, like, I had the blog. I had, and I say this, now I I regret it. And uh, I had, like, a mobile app, like, eight years ago with restaurant recommendations all over the world called Yo Culinario. Okay. And I didn't, I I said, I say to myself today, like, if I kept going, I would have sold it today for, I don't know how many. Lots of money. Yeah, lots of money, but I stopped doing it. I I don't know, I got tired and it was, uh, like, uh, demanding a lot of time.
1: It seems like it would be pretty demanding.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, at some point I I had, like, 25 cities at the moment. Like, 20 restaurants more or less in each city. And, like, okay, realistically speaking, yeah, I'm going to Mexico City all the time. I'm going to Miami all the time. But how often am I going to go to, like, Milan or... I don't know. So... Uh, it was there were different times. I mean, it was a hobby at the time. I mean, right now it's like a, you see it as a business opportunity as a money maker. At the time, it was just like a hobby. So uh, I don't know, between work and everything, I, I stopped doing that. And so I had this all these like followers and going to all these conferences, uh, also like as a result of being a full writer and and critic. I got invited to, for 50 best, so uh, I've been involved with 50 best for uh, over 10 years now, and attended all these conferences. Like, now they're don't doing that much, uh, but like 10 years ago until like, I don't know, six years ago, there were all these amazing conferences all over the world, like America, Mistura, MAD, uh, Madrid Fusion, so Worlds go to this conference, and that's also how I got to know all these amazing chefs from all over the world. But going back to business, uh, so I had this all this knowledge, all this network in the food industry, and tech, and tech. Well, uh, right. all this happened while I was a consultant uh, for Ernst and Young, and then I started up a company. It's called Tedexis. I still now it's twenty two years old, and wow. um, we started doing like uh, text messaging for companies. So now it's very common. But when we started like twenty years ago, like. We'll go to a bank like, hey, why don't you sell a text message for every person who takes money out of an ATM or something. Um, that's still running. It's one of the biggest um, SMS companies, like corporate SMS companies in in the region. Oh. And that we spinned off that business into a mobile marketing agency because some of the things that we did with SMS had to do with uh, like sweepstakes and everything. So clients started asking us to do like, again, like marketing campaigns with SMS. So we started a mobile marketing agency and that's how I got into the agency world, which I I say, I tell everybody, like I I have so much, even though I own a marketing agency, I have so much more, more to learn because my first position at a marketing agency was like founder and CEO. Like, (laughs) so I had to learn all the way down, like uh, about processes and everything. But then, yeah, uh, having all this food experience, uh, and as I mentioned before, like knowing how marketing agencies uh, work, I uh, decided to open Glutonomy with two other founders, and that brought me here to Miami six, six years ago, and we're doing what we're doing now.
1: So, six years you've been here, Glutonomy, the whole thing, Miami dining. What do you? What are your feelings? What do you think about at least what you've seen from the Miami? food community in the last six years
0: well i'm very optimistic and i'm happy for all the things that have happened in the last years and again i've been in miami for living it for six years but i've been coming to miami many years so forever yeah i remember i don't know like eight years ago ten years ago i used to go like, if if I had to spend one night in Miami, I would go, like, to Pub Belly. Uh, oh, yeah. I love that place. Uh, I remember, I don't know, the, Gigi and all the machines. The o- OG,
1: OG Pub Belly. Yes, a special exactly. place.
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> so, one of the things that I like about Miami, it's it started to look at its own, like, we don't want to be in New York. We don't want to be LA. We don't want to be Lima. We are Miami with all the good and bad things that we have and this this is what we do so I think that's a positive positive things Um, I think local chefs like like yourself start being recognized Uh, we're not looking I mean of course we're looking at chefs from outside and we have all these New York restaurants now opening here and everything but I mean beyond I don't know Michael Schwartz and Michelle and you you ask five years ago, ten years ago. Hey, Nema, Miami, chef, like uh, I don't know. Well,
1: now, it kind of like skipped, right? Because it's the old like Mango Gang people, right? Like the Douglas, yeah. the Michelle, the Norman, the Alan yeah. Susser. and then like it seemed to like have a serious low, and then it was like Michael, Timon, yeah, some others, you know. So
0: now I think that's very positive. And what I like about what's going now, going on now. Uh, there's this—I uh, I don't want to call it break—but it's there's Miami, like touristic Miami Beach, sure, and there's Miami. And uh, before, like ten years ago, <laughs> Miami was Miami Beach, was right? Hotels. Now Miami is Miami. It's—I uh, don't know—inland Miami. I don't know how to call it. Mainland so, is what mainland, we call it. Miami. Yeah, Miami. So we are. Just like, I don't know, Portland or Austin or Nashville, they have their own identity and their own like chefs and their own restaurants. I think Miami finally has that. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the biggest things I've seen about Miami. Of course, now after COVID, which I think is going to be as bad as COVID was, I think for Miami is going to be positive in the long run uh because we people are appreciating more the things that we have and even though this all these uh restaurants from New York or Texas whatever are opening here uh if we if we see the the good value of this i mean they're raising the bar um so that's also good for local restaurants um i think if we can and this is not only for Miami this is for everywhere if We can manage the like workforce situation. uh, We will be ready for amazing things here. I mean, I think yeah, we need like probably more like cooking schools or front of the house, uh, like people like professions from service industry, yeah, yeah. service industry professionals. Yeah, exactly. Uh, If we manage to do that, I think we're. I mean. Miami has So much to offer
1: Yeah Yeah I mean I think that um, You know Obviously I'm In it So my views Are a little A little different Um, I do think that The the culture Of like The service side Of the industry Mm -hmm. Has to change I think that the food side Has Shifted And I think that there was Like peaks But then there was also Valleys Like hard ones So it's like from our culinary history, there's been, like, some real great times that are very well documented. And then there's been a valley and then a hard peak. And then, again, like, the Michaels and the Jose Mendines yeah. of the world and those kind of things. and also. But I think what we haven't seen is, like, peaks from the service side yet. And I think that it, that's still yet to be had. And I think, you know how you said, like, uh, when you started, kind of like you were the owner or creator of your company. Yeah. I mean, me, myself... When I hear that statement, I think of it from like um from the service aspect of it, yeah, like how much I didn't know and how much I had to grow because I didn't know shit uh, now can you get him a glass of wine Absolutely. is that possible? what do you want to drink
0: uh Alvarino, i think but Alvarino? again if I, if you're not having this one, I'm happy to switch to no, no this, this
1: one's for him yeah, yeah unless I, you
0: want it. I'll keep it.
1: Guys, yeah. you know, just take it easy. Just yeah. All right, get him some the cheapest brown shit is for Nick and put yes. it in a red solo cup, yeah. please. Oh, if you got a red solo yeah. cup handy... I'm
0: getting your drink now. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I don't know
1: what that is, but it's good. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I feel super blessed that we have a lot of service people within our company that yeah. have incredible background from elsewhere and that can help us elevate mm-hmm. all the things that we've done. Brittany's, the Andrew McCutcheon's, the Georgia... Like, they're just, like, these your, people are,
0: Yeah, what's her name? Your basic chef is amazing. Uh, uh, Devin. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when you look at, like, all the, uh, the heads of all the departments and even the top people within our company, like the GMs and the chefs of each one, I think that we're super lucky that we have great, great people that really care. And that yeah. want to help elevate the whole thing. Ah, you know, so like, that's...
0: Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to tell you about Miami... And just, we were talking uh, before about the inf- like media and the audience for the media, which doesn't probably help, with restaurants, it's the same. Uh, I, I don't think one cannot live without the other. I think they will both exist.
1: You are absolutely right.
0: But, again, there's the, I'm not going to name restaurants, but we all know, like, all these fancy, mediocre Food restaurants where like celebrities go and people make lines to book a table and and that's fine and that's it's all for, for the show that's yeah, okay
1: uh, you know like and just yeah. and I won't name restaurants either but I was dining somewhere recently that had gotten a lot of like recognition or what I don't know what it was uh and I was dining with friends and I just looked around and I said you know the like the scene in here isn't necessarily like what I what I want for my restaurant yeah I don't really know if that's the thing. Like, I don't yeah. know if these people are here for the food. Exactly. I don't even know if they, they know what the food is. Exactly. So, uh, and they don't care. Right. And I think equally too, you mentioned like the influencer blogger whatever can't survive with the restaurant and vice versa. I think that they, um, they're each other's crutch. Yeah. Right. Like the fact that the restaurant supports that type of behavior, um, is what gives them the legs to continue going in the direction that they're going. Exactly. If someone tells me, and it's someone that I like very much respect their opinion on food, that they want to come in for dinner, I would love for them to yeah. have dinner. You know what I'm saying? But I just don't know how many of these people actually have a background of food or have ever even put hands on food. I actually know how to butcher a chicken or make up a blanc or any of those things yeah. that really matter. Absolutely. So, Or even, even know what proper steps of service are. Yeah. You know, like... I think a lot of that is is part of the problem of that whole thing, right? They're each other's crutch.
0: Yeah. And I think we, and I I take the liberty of including myself in that group like chefs, restaurateurs, consultants, everything. I think we have a mission and we're working on it, on changing that uh, image that Miami has uh, outside. Not even, forget about abroad, like even in the US. And I suffered that. Firsthand, like, um, about this food hall I, I told you about before, I've been like connecting with so many chefs and restaurateurs from like LA, Chicago, uh, New York, uh, Nashville, and I explained to them what's going on here. Like, Miami, I mean, do I want to open a restaurant in Miami? Uh, it's seasonal. I don't want to open a restaurant in a five star hotel that will go out of business in a year. And, like, no, no, this is. A different thing. This is a historic building in downtown with a bunch of uh, uh, local residents and office workers and everything. And some people don't get what's going on in Miami. And one of the things that I enjoy the most every time I I have people visiting, even though I don't see them, I, they ask me, hey, I'm going to be in Miami for three days. Where should I go? And I send them the list. They're, some of them are like, I don't know any of these restaurants. Yeah. Depends where you look. I mean. Right. But I think that's uh, that's changing. Uh, so I, I still tell everybody, okay, there's different Miamis and you pick the Miami that you want. There's South Beach, uh, Five Star Hotel, expensive, shitty <laughs> right, restaurant right. Miami. And there's uh, Papa Mom, uh, I don't know, Mimo yep. uh, or Coconut Grove uh, yep, yep. Miami. So, yeah.
1: I mean, the Grove has got a good mixture of like... yeah. Um, mom and pop and like large commodity trash also you could be yeah. very honest about that I'm very <laughs> honest about it all the time um, it's a good point that you you choose the Miami that um you'd like to dine at yeah but I think a lot of it has to do with the the way the media spins Miami and how yeah. they promote the proper things or talk about the proper things yeah. has a lot to do with it also you know like we're we're only as good as the people that uh I think are getting the word out and a lot of times restaurateurs and chefs are just trying to grind it out you know
0: yeah. and like from your point of view like as a restauranteur as a chef but also uh, as a restauranteur like your partner with other and other restaurants where you're not necessarily like the the head chef have all this influx of people being positive to you like are they appreciating what's going on here or you still see like a shallow, uh like, level of people, like, wanting just to party and not appreciating what you're doing?
1: I, I mean, I think people, when they come to our establishments, like, they know kind of what they're getting themselves into. Okay. Like, this is not the show. Like, we're, you know, we're proper food, proper service, proper cocktails, proper, like... Hmm we're not there's no sparklers here there's not a team singing you happy birthday you know we're going to make you enjoy the experience you know we want you to enjoy the experience we're going to try to make it special Uh, but there's no smoke and mirrors here there's no like a big golden gilded box um, with the name of the restaurant and a piece of steak in it that doesn't exist here what exists here is like proper cooking and proper things yeah but do you see
0: for example i don't know like i say new yorkers because it's the, probably right the, the biggest uh Influx. Like, yeah like people looking for those like yes. real meals
1: yep oh, nice. and, and nice. you That's know we problem. have some people that have returned six times for the duck press you know oh. yeah six times we have which i
0: haven't had which you should <laughs>
1: um you know we have uh people that dine here on a regular basis that are from out of town that you know i have a couple of guests that fly to miami i think once every two months and they're only here four days and they come here every, okay. their first night every time that they're here cool and you know it's a lot of people from all over i check our book area specific every single day and it's like you know chicago new york nice. pennsylvania the west coast texas it's a lot and i They've, more often than not, I would say 95% of the time, been very uh, genuine with their appreciation of nice. the experience. And, you know, like, the way I I talk about area-specific also, because it's like my first child, um, it's the type of restaurant that you can only have in Miami. Okay. And that's why, like, I would never put it anywhere else. Yeah. So, when you come here, it's like hanging out with me at my house, and talking about someone that was born and raised here like and that's a very big point for me and the food is all influenced by that okay. so when people ask like well, why don't you do this why don't I do that i'm like well this is not that you're not misunder you're not understanding the point yeah you know what i'm saying a lot of french technique a lot of old school technique but at the end of the day these are things that there is a large connection to the city i grew up in through this food you know and uh, if you want to hear the stories about each dish i could spend all day talking yeah. about them
0: and i i i I have one of and again I've been here only six years, but I consider myself now i'm a Miamian, and I've been trying to identify i, I don't know if it even exists like w- what's South Florida's cuisine how does it look like uh, right and I don't know if 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 it exists or if we have to
1: oh well, i think make we're it. i think we're cultivating that now yeah. I think now you see a lot of that, and I, I think you saw a lot of that in those peaks over the last twenty years, right mm-hmm. but you never saw you never saw something that stayed with it and just stayed that way, yeah, you know like, and I think a lot of the issues with saying what is Miami cuisine is that it's such a melting pot of culture, it's hard to pinpoint one culture, yeah. I think it's more the city itself dictates the term of the food, which is saying. I have this conversation often, too, is like, yes, we don't grow vegetables in the summer that everyone is used to, but we grow really special shit. So learn how to use that exactly. shit and make that something special or something unexpected on a menu. And that's what I I challenge people all the time to do. Yeah. You know, things like, obviously, spreading the gospel of mame forever. You know, jackfruit, obviously mango, green mangoes, regular mangoes. There's fucking... I don't know how many varieties of mangoes themselves, and they're all very distinct. Avocados, there's different... Like, all that kind of stuff is very specific to here and where we're located. So using those things to let that dictate the term of cuisine is very important.
0: Yeah. I always uh, tell, and maybe I want to... Probably this is like a public thing. I'm going to compromise you as well. That's cool. I I don't know if you've read... uh, uh, Jeremiah Towers' uh, book, uh, The Last Magnificent. I have it. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I love him. It's amazing. Yeah. And there's one part when, like, I think this was, like, late 70s. He started making, like, uh, regional uh, tasting menus. Uh, and there's a South Florida Ooh. menu that he cooked in, like, 77 in California. And you read that menu, it's amazing how somebody in 77 in California so understood and interpreted a, like Miami or South Florida cuisine. And I always wanted to recreate that dinner, maybe, I don't know, six dishes. or so have six chefs pick a restaurant and recreate that menu that Jeremiah Tower oh, man, I imagined would, in 77. I would, I, mean, I would love that. Let's. Uh, I'm going to share it with you and let's. Uh, I, w- I let's would love that. that.
1: I mean, he's a legend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Seventy-seven. So that puts the menu. How old now? Almost fifty years.
0: Thirty-five years. Forty years, almost. No, I don't know. Yeah, fifty. I'm, I've well, had so almost many
1: almost. Wines and, that's perfect. That's yeah. good. That means you're in the right place for Punkum Podcast. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's almost it like forty plus years. Yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. I would love to see that because I I like, for instance, like this weekend the jackfruit carpaccio is going to be on the Ariet menu again. Okay and it's like things like that we've done braised jackfruit with squab the jackfruit carpaccio is my favorite rendition of like what we do with jackfruit just because it's delicious and it's like treating jackfruit like meat especially the people that don't eat meat like yeah. use it as a meat substitute um the mame spacho that would probably have some some burn this summer like uh sopadilla with um Uh, Baked ricotta We do a thing with that Like a savory burnt cheesecake With sopadilla Also Uh, Like You know We did an avocado Leonaise With uh, Florida avocados Like those That to me Is Florida cuisine Because it's really It's not tying itself To any specific Style Yeah Because we are so Multicultural The entire city Right There's Haitians Jamaicans Cubans Puerto Ricans Venezuelans, yeah th- there's asians there's everything here yeah. so it's like so who are we really i mean essentially we're the port of miami pretty much like yeah. it, there's everything here so you can't just say like there's a bunch of cuban food i can tell you there's a bunch of shitty cuban food in miami yeah that's just that's the reality of it there's a bunch of shitty cuban food there's a lot of cuban food doesn't mean that's all good you know and, and it's i don't know it's a hard question to answer because there is no answer i think it, yeah. it, all that is just being developed through the talent that's really coming I mean, up yeah, right now.
0: I mean, this is such a young city. I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think you guys are building up what's what's going to be considered in the future. Like, okay, this is South Florida or Miami uh, cuisine. I, I mean, hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's,
1: absolutely. A, there's, a, there's a really incredible group of talented, like, hardworking people right now that are doing... Some really amazing stuff that I think is recognized for a very, very long time. I think that this point that we're living right now is going to dictate a lot of what the next 30 years is going to be like, food-wise. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to realize that.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, like all the chefs from your generation, you work here and you work with uh, Michelle and uh, Norman.
1: Yeah, I mean, like me specific, I worked with Michael... Norman and a couple other like really great people that don't have huge names like that. Um, I mean I never left here.
0: Okay, and do you see like the kids who are working with you now like do you see a generation that's being formed and educated with you guys with Timon with Jose or yeah. with you Justin like how do you see that generation like absorbing everything that you are showing them and
1: I think it's interesting because the style of cook now is very different than the style of cook before. And even before it was like hit or miss, but how many people really believe in the thing? Uh Like whatever that thing is that you're doing as in comparison to like the people that are just trying to get a paycheck or the people that believe that when they come out of culinary school, they should be making 70 grand a year when Uh. they don't even know how to butcher a chicken or they have no idea what a side of beef looks like or they don't know how to break down a whole hog. Like, yeah, there's a plethora of things. Um, Do I see a lot of younger kids consuming information and really kind of like wanting to understand it and wanting to grow? And I do see a lot of that. Okay. But I I don't know if I see it as much as I did when I was younger. But also, that being said, a lot of people that have been through my kitchens and kitchens that I was part of before are all, like, a lot of them are running their own kitchens. Nice. And I think that that's that's great for me to see, because I think, you know, like um, I have to say this, but it just came to my mind because yeah. it absolutely fucking infuriated me. And it was <laughs> the dumbest thing I've ever fucking seen. But so you had one PR person post this thing on Facebook. I don't want to name names because I already have like a very bad reputation, apparently. As as per... Uh, apparently. Apparently. I have a very rebu- bad reputation, so let me just not say names because apparently that's better. So, so a PR person posted this thing on Facebook about wanting to show someone about what real... Uh, Nick, I have no idea what you're doing, but I'm so concerned about whatever's happening over there. It's crazy. That is the and strangest thing. being
0: filmed.
2: Thing. That's the worst part. Yeah, He's yeah. filming oh, it I for know. himself, which wow. is the worst oh, yeah. part. This is for the official
1: Instagram account. Perfect. Yeah. So... Um, about local farms and like farm to table and they wanted to show someone the local farms of Miami and then a, a, a journalist responds in kind there is no true farm to table in Miami and I it took every ounce of my existence to not respond to that but the truth is I, I don't didn't I didn't because I don't have time for those two people because they're not worth my time. Yeah. Because it was so fucking dumb. Like, the reason why I appreciated working for Norman so much, one of the several, was because for Norman, we didn't um, – like, buying the tomato, the tomatoes from Tina's Pride wasn't like a thing. It was just part of the culture. Yeah. Buying from farms wasn't like a thing. It was just part of our culture. And the same thing happened when I went to go work for Michael. And then the same thing happened when I opened here. And I'm very fortunate that I've been using pretty much the same two farmers for the last six years. And then previously to that six plus years. So I've been using them for over a decade. Okay. It's just part of the culture. Here. Yeah. You know, like that shows to me the absolutely the abyss, this fucking canyon difference between people that understand what it is, what we do for a living and what we actually do. Yeah. And the only thing that makes me very happy is that the kids that go through here the younger chefs that go through here, they understand that this is part of our culture. Yeah, this is it's, what we do. We like to do it. It's, right? Why won't we put a tomato on a burger? First of all, it doesn't belong on a burger. Secondly, secondly, it's not in season, so we don't offer it. People just stopped asking here, or my servers just stopped asking me. It's either one of the two, right? Like, there's a time and a place for a tomato on a sandwich. It's called a BLT, and that's totally fine. It's when it's in season, yeah. and you make your own things, and everything's delicious on it.
0: I don't know who put tomatoes and lettuce in a burger. Ah. Listen,
1: relax. Lettuce belongs. Lettuce belongs. Take it easy. Lettuce belongs. No, it's completely a sudden, aesthetic. No, no, no. And it's, all, all of and a it's sudden, there is no one truth. Fake, no, yeah. There is no one truth to a burger because everyone has their own fucking idea like, of a burger. I like a tomato on a burger. Nah, man, relax. I would rather have no. the tomato and no lettuce than the lettuce and no tomato.
0: None of it.
1: I just don't understand it. But like all the time, you take a bite of the burger with the tomato, and the tomato disappears; it goes away because it smushes itself out.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes, it's like warm and oh, it's long. weird.
1: Who wants yeah. a warm tomato? I'm just
2: saying. I mean, there's a lot of warm tomato in the world.
1: I mean, I, I guess, but not on a burger.
2: Yeah,
1: why does it have to be warm? You put it you, gets you, don't, warm. you don't you
2: don't cook it with. I mean, I
1: that believe doesn't... I believe the lettuce it, it acts as a nest for <laughs> all the things, right? Do you even really feel it? Not really. You don't. You should. Nah. Take it easy. Oh. Take it easy.
0: Again, if you want tomatoes and lettuce have a BLT.
1: Nah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, I, I honestly I
2: think I think do tomatoes belong on burgers is our new is a taco a sandwich.
1: Relax because Carlos Free is gonna pick that up, he's gonna run with it for the next six months on Twitter. So let's take it easy, alright? I don't want any more of those Twitter wars between you and Carlos and about sandwiches and, and tomatoes on burgers. I don't need that <laughs> in my life. I'm just saying that that's just one example of the abyss of difference of people that really understand what a lot of the restaurants in Miami do. Like the extent that Itame goes through to find and source great fish. The extent that Nando and Val talk about like freshness of their product and how good it is and the extent that they go to find it. No one talks about that, right? like when phil ran the local and the fact that he had his entire larder program that was up to par with any other larder in the country no one talked about that either
0: and is there a such a thing like or and this uh two questions in one is is, it, is there such a thing as like local fish and how hard is it to get it
1: oh it's interesting i had that conversation today actually with phil because uh how hard is it pretty hard and, and it's Why? it's pretty I mean, shocking the beach I understand that, but a lot of things get fished here, sent somewhere else because they go for a higher price somewhere else than going here, right? And then usually when they say things are local here, they come from the Gulf, right? When As opposed to like just going to the Keys and buying, yeah. a, a, getting a bunch of yellowtail. There's a couple guys that really work in that world of local, uh-huh. um, but it's tough for them. And then also as the consumer, and I ask you as like, let's say as a consumer, how tired are you of yellowtail and grouper? Yeah right, yeah. and that's those are the two things that you can get the most common here and all the time. For
0: some, where does branzino comes from like I the have a freezer we...
1: somewhere. Uh, sorry, a deep freezer somewhere. Yeah, I yeah.
0: Mean, that's I mean everywhere you go, you, that's what you see in the menus.
1: I know, and that's why I say, I, I have I'm like stubborn and weird in certain ways. Like I'll never want to serve branzino only because you see it on every other menu yeah. in the entire world, and it's always frozen and it's always like super mediocre. That to me is like those are the bigger issues, right? It's definitely not local. See you later canard it's definitely not local. It's definitely not delicious, but it's a good price point and people for some reason like it. Yeah. And they buy it. When I'd much rather sell you a whole yellowtail, it's probably gonna be a little pricier. It's probably gonna come from somewhere closer and it's probably gonna be a lot fresher. It's probably gonna have never touched the freezer.
0: Like the the snapper that I just ate, at Nave, or those
1: the... red snapper. Yeah. It comes from the Gulf. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, like, that's a that's a pretty fine product. Yeah. But there was a time that we were getting consistent yellowtails from the Keys. And then that time really dried out wow. a lot. And then it's, like, super hit or miss. And then you have to play that game of, like, being the restaurateur and operator and then being the chef because you want to have the snapper Milanese and you always wanted there available. But what yeah, if but, what yeah. if they don't have yellowtail? Yeah. And But what if it's your highest-selling item? You know, it's like... Those no, are those course. kind of things that are very tough. So then you skate to the side of saying, okay, well, I'm going to use Red Snapper. And I'm yeah. going to use, you know, it's like, are you, I'm going to use mutton Snapper. Or like, I mean, mutton snapper's Snapper is good, but... Yeah,
0: there's a story that this is an extreme story from uh, Jun Sakamoto in Sao Paulo, the sushi, the high-end sushi restaurant. Uh, and some, like, it hasn't happened in a while, but it was a thing for him, like, sometimes. And this is like, at the time, it was like the most famous sushi restaurant in Sao Paulo where you have like a lot of sushi restaurants and some days he would like we're not opening today like we don't have good product we went to the market everything was like so far, so we're not opening today and people used to get mad and pissed but he was being true to his beliefs and I don't know how many reservations he lost that day or revenue but he would just not open that's of wild of course like all his menu was fr- like based on
2: Fresh fish, no? Right. I think that this is... Sorry, I'm I'm jumping in here. There's a a thing, Mike, that you brought up earlier that I think, Nidal, I'm sure you would have interesting things to say here. And it's sort of connected to some of the stuff about sourcing and all that. You know, we were talking about... uh, I I think you said something, Mike, along the lines of, you know, if people want to hear me tell a story, I can talk about it for an hour. Obviously, nobody... You know, at some point it's cool and the chef comes to your table and then at some point he's overstayed his welcome, right? Okay, you've been here for an hour, I want to eat yeah. my food. But I wonder if the two of you could talk a little bit about that idea of how the diner knowing some backstory, it could be about the chef, it could be about where the food came from, it could be how that affects the experience of eating the meal. The The example that, that comes to my mind is, you know, I, I, I had the snapper dish here at Arriet. Yeah. And we did an episode of the podcast. Who were we with? We were with Kiki. Yes. When you you told that story. Um, And I hadn't heard that story. And I already thought, this is one of the best fish things that I've had anywhere. And after I heard that story, I know that the next time I eat that, it's going to add another dimension to that experience. I'm sure that you uh, need to have certain experience or stories or perspective on the impact that can have. So anyway, that's just me kind of teeing you up. Yeah. And I think there's a connection to some of the sourcing stuff, because even in a broader sense, right, when the diner knows things about where Branzino comes from and doesn't come from, it changes their experience of the Branzino.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there is there are restaurants that are fully based on that principle. I mean, Central in Lima or Borago in Santiago de Chile. Everything is around... Uh, that a sto- and a story. yeah, a story and where it comes from, and sometimes like uh, again, I I love Rodolfo and Rodolfo had I've had some weird. Yeah. issues at uh Borago because he's like I don't know. This is uh, a guy that grows uh, in the coast like twenty kilometers from here, and uh, it's being I mean used in for, by locals for hundred years, and now I'm making this. I don't know, jelly with that. Again, you taste it and it's not probably the the most amazing meal you've had, but it's it tells you a story of the area, of the people from that area, of the history of that that country. So, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I have his book. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's, it's wild. Yeah. And I, I think that there's, uh, Nick, to answer your question, at least from my My perspective is there's definitely, like, three different types of diners, right? There's the diners that just, like, they want sustenance. They're just out on a Tuesday and they just want to eat something and they just want to go home, which is totally fine. There's the diner that um, is more into the show and the experience, right? And then there's the diner that's very, like, inquisitive and wants to know about all the nooks and crannies, right? And those are the people that want to know the story. Those are the people that are going to go there and they're going to learn they're going to want to know that story about where it was sourced from and why it's like that and all those yeah. things uh, like those are i think the, the very different types yeah. you know yeah and
0: i'm not saying like i don't think every restaurant should be central or Vodago or noma or and whatever but i think every restaurant should tell or their, let their consumers know those stories and again i'm not talking about uh, reading like uh, three paragraphs in each menu or every time the waiter brings a dish, you have to listen to him or her for like three minutes explaining that, I don't know, uh, where that cow walked around or what it ate. What it was fed yeah. or whatever, yeah. But the information <laughs> should be there. I mean...
1: They they should be able to answer the question if asked. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I, I totally agree. I, I think it's a very fine line between like... Cause people always say like you need to educate the guest and I, i'm not like obviously i know a little more about food than the common person but like i don't want to go out and get educated necessarily yeah. unless i'm going to the, that experience to know that i think when people come here or any of our establishments i think that we're we portray what each one is very specifically and I think people understand like when people dine at Ariette and they want to have like the dining experience like yeah. if they have the tasting menu from Ariette's tasting menu you know they want to know all the things and what what is all the stuff
0: yeah and you you can say it without saying it like if you if I look at your menu and I see uh, mangoes and I see avocado and I see different ingredients here and there like you connect the dots and uh, you tell a story with with your menu without Having the waiter again right. sitting there and tell you, "Were like how many avocados they?" Picked well, I mean, today you're you're also an educated diner, yeah, though. Yeah. I mean,
1: you've dined all over the world, so some people can and some people can't. Yeah. You have to be prepared for both aspects of it.
0: Absolutely, and um, some people may want you to come to the table and explain, "Hey, how did you come up with that dish?" And this—that's totally fine. I mean, it's actually—I think—it's appreciated.
1: Uh, yeah. I feel like that. I'm table. I'm not like a huge table touch person. Uh Like I feel like it's always kind of like awkward. Like when do you say bye? That's always my thing. Like when are we leaving here? Are we done? Everyone's happy. All right, I'm out. Yeah. It's just it's kind of like a weird dynamic or whatever, and I don't know.
0: And I've seen that, and I think that's very uh, common, and I I I like it. I mean, it's not. I'm not complaining here. Like, but many chefs. do that and I think it's totally fine like yeah they are there and then at the next minute they're just not there and they leave the staff and the rest of the cooks and the waiters take over and I think it's uh, it's great I mean yeah
1: so what's next for you
0: oof uh love that that. what's next for me well I, I think uh Talking, talking about the what we've been discussing in the city. I would, uh, again, I really even though, <laughs> no, I, I, mean, I would like to help uh, in that transformation of the new Miami uh, and look back and say, okay, how did I help in in that process? If it's by helping uh, some restaurants and chefs and brands uh, going out there and communicating their uh, stories or bringing the Massimo Botulas of the world here to mix with the local community and, and see what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, like, leave, like, I don't know, let's say I, I moved to some other city in four years and I say, okay, I lived, years in miami and this is what i left or this is what i helped uh achieve uh of course business wise and company wise i want Glutonomy to to grow to be uh, a player in the food industry for not just as an agency but for like helping uh brands getting there and communicating the right things uh, making the consumer better educated consumers
1: so, basically, you want to leave your mark? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that's, a, that's Enough,
0: the goal. Uh, uh, the positive one. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, that's that's the goal for everyone, I think. Everyone that cares. Yeah. You know. And it's it, a,
0: sorry, it's a, a, a bit selfish even because I'm talking about me and uh, what I want to do. But I think it's what what I can do.
1: Right. I'm with it. I'm with it. Nick, what do you got here, man? You've been real quiet today. What's going on? here, I mean, right. There's
2: good things happening over there. I know. Here. I'm I, aware. I, I stepped in I, once, and that was, you know. Thank God.
1: Yeah. It really I mean, slows down when you hey, step you in. You can't have it both
2: ways. You can yeah. complain about me being I'm not complaining. I'm just asking what's going on over there. What's, what's what? I mean, if we want the, picante, beyond, the beyond the tickling the, yeah, of well, the, the ball tickler. What's going on is that we got a new member of the Dade uh, Patreon Mug Club. No. Yes. One Sarah Figueroa. Oh, wow. Uh, who said that she just dined at Ariette this week, uh, and or this past week, and now is going to get mugs. So
1: I believe she came to the tasting.
2: She said Thursday, so yeah.
1: That was tasting day. Yeah, she came to a good day. Yeah. Came to a good day.
2: Yeah. We were having a little back and forth because uh, uh, I posted about uh, pastry chef Devin Braddock uh, flipping off some ice cream sandwiches, and she sent me a picture of... Her own, flipping off some cookies she made. <laughs> so, so there's that. All right. Um, is you bringing me in a sign that you want to move on to the wind down? Yeah, I think it's time. It's time for the wind down, ladies yeah, I think and gentlemen. It's time. This is where we start our parting recommendations uh, for those of you who are new to Bankom Podcast, or maybe Nidal. Need- Everybody recommends a thing, but it can't be your thing. It can be absolutely... It could be a book. It could be a meal. It could be a movie. Higher gluttony for your next yeah, marketing like that. That's agency. Good. That's for the shameless plug segment.
1: <laughs> I think for recommendations, I, you know what I would love to know is like... For you to eat food that makes you feel like at home, What? where do you go for that here?
0: Oh, um, well... I'm going to respond to your question. I, I'm going to challenge your question. Like, Okay. I I don't go... I mean, I love to cook. And for not being a chef, I'm a decent cook. And my girlfriend is a chef. So oh, that's good. I eat pretty well at home. And I go to restaurants to eat something that I don't eat at home. Right. So when I go to restaurants, I look for an experience. I look for things that I don't so necessarily... So not necessarily
1: things that make you feel homey. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
0: When I go to a restaurant, I want to... and i want to take a parenthesis about like what happened during uh uh, like i i only use uber eats like i think once or twice in my life because i love cooking and i love going out to restaurants i don't want to have restaurant food at home i get you yeah so i'm like the worst takeout delivery customer especially
1: when it's done poorly yeah
0: exactly so when i want to when i go to a restaurant. I want to have the restaurant experience. I want the hospitality. I want the service. I want the wine, the things that I, I don't usually uh, cook. Uh, so, yeah, I go. I mean, I have my favorite restaurants. Uh,
1: but they're not necessarily the stuff like the homey food for you. Like the homey food for you, you eat, you make at home. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, So what So, I mean, I, I go to Itamai because I... I mean, I don't, I don't do ceviches and tiraditos, and uh, they do amazing ones. Right. Uh, uh, I don't make my own pasta, so I come here to to Nave. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I like barbecue, so I've been going lately a lot to like I'm in hometown and drinking pig uh for good barbecue, which yeah. is a little bit like home cooking, yeah, but it's yeah, yeah. not the food that I that I cook. Um. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I want the, the restaurant. Exp- I go to restaurants to so have the restaurant experience.
1: I mean, I get it because when people ask me where I go for Cuban food, I say my grandmother's house. Yeah, exactly. I don't, exactly. I, like, I don't, I don't know yeah. where else to like, go for that. Now,
0: like, how I'm Lebanese, uh, Lebanese Venezuelan. So I go to McDo's uh, in Midtown when I want to go get decent Lebanese food. Uh, I think all the other, like, until that What's restaurant. It Magdous, M A G D O O S. yeah, it's a little restaurant in. Uh, ne- it's, luckily, it's next to my office, and I've been to all Lebanese restaurants in Miami, and they. I mean, again, this is uh, a Lebanese guy who loves food. I don't think any of them are that good. Magdous is pretty good. So when I want that connection with Lebanese <laughs> food, I go to. It's what I
1: sound yeah. like when I talk about Cuban food. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I, you know, this one's okay.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I, I love McDo's when I want to get uh, Lebanese food. Uh, I like La Latina for Arepas. Again, I'm Venezuelan. Uh, so, so, I, I got to
1: say, like, I used to love La Latina, and then I just feel like they took a drop-off, and it's shocking, the the weird one that's, like, right on 36, Arepa Bar. I think they're uh-huh, pretty, yeah, good. pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty
0: good. They're no, pretty good. Yeah, but uh, I don't know when was the last time, and I'm not making here any ads or anything, but um, <laughs> go to La Latina. <laughs>
1: I used to go there all the time yeah. when I worked at Cyprus. I mean, it was right
0: Yeah, no, street. but uh, they have uh, new owners. Like, they took over a couple of years ago, and they're doing the right thing. Oh, good. Uh, I'm happy for them. I mean, I like doggies, too, but um, when I want to have, like, a Venezuelan arepa, I go to La Latina.
1: I... I grew up down the street from Doggies. Okay. So I grew up on 17th and Coraway pretty much. Okay. So like right down the street. And it's strange like where Doggies is, that bakery is actually uh-huh. pretty good too.
0: And that's also Venezuelan bakery. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's pretty good also. So like I feel like the food in that corner is like slept on. And then I haven't been there because I'm not like a big burger person, uh-huh. even though we just had a big burger debate. Across the street, the Juanches. I hear it's pretty good. also. Yeah, that guy
0: started at the baseball stadium in Caracas.
1: Look at that. Yeah,
0: and now he's got like Brooklyn and Miami. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How's the burger? It's not my favorite one. Okay, but it's I mean it's good. But yeah. I, I mean, I'm super picky with uh, with burgers. I think Miami is still. I mean, I love uh, Justin's Burgers. I love Arias Burger, and probably two or three more. But... Name one
1: of the other two or three. Which ones? Yeah, name one of the other, other ones.
0: Uh, you got me there. I mean, yeah. I, I, I go lies to. No, I, I go lies. to Shake Shack. I have to. Oh, confess.
1: Shake Shack? Yeah, shake shack. I, I, I'm yeah. a Shake Shack Solid. I have to yeah. tell you that I was shocked the other day. Like, I've been shitting on the Five Guys burger uh-huh. for years. I guess because I had it, like.
0: I like it. Five Guys.
1: But I had, like, someone cut me, like, a corner of one the other day, and I was like, this is, no,
0: this it's is good. good. It's
1: good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just. I think it's because I had five guys that one time I didn't like it, and then I had Shake Shack, and I was like, nah, Shake Shack's way better.
0: Yeah, it's good. I mean, I like Kush. Uh, I think it could be better, but it's
2: it's, it's good. Love it's pretty. That. Yeah. No,
0: <laughs> because I know they can do better, and uh, but it's good. It's still probably my fifth. Burger. And, That's pretty yeah. good. Top yeah. five is good. Top
1: their, five is good.
2: Uh, their frita just won the uh, yes the burger thing at the chef Leo.
1: Congrats, so, yeah, chef
0: their Leo. Fri- their frita pretty good. That's what I get when I when I go there. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you're doing the frita in chugs. Oh yeah. Yeah, that 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 was a good one.
1: Yeah, I think our Frita's is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I actually I went to Stevens the other day and I had the uh, the Jubin. right? Okay, I, yeah. That shit was real good that was delicious yeah you know like roast pork and then pastrami and the thing and it okay. was oh yeah they was have was...
0: a good one not pork but yeah with pastrami uh, they have a regular pastrami yeah or, and they have yeah.
1: a rachel i think and then they have a uh... all right brother so all right burgers I, I there was something i want before we wind down sure
0: yeah.
1: tell me your thoughts on the michelin guide
0: uh, again, it's a good reference. Like, when, when we make decisions on where to go to it, we have to have an open mind and look at everything. And Michelin Guide is one of the things we need to look into. But it's not uh, the Bible The Bible used to be uh, before. Uh, again, it helps restaurants bring business. But, I mean, I'd rather... Get uh, recommendations like more like grassroots. Uh, yeah, from people. Uh, yeah, from people from local uh, guides. I mean, I, I I like the Michelin guide. I respect it, but it's it's not the bible it used to be.
1: You think they're coming to Miami?
0: I think they're going coming to Miami and kick me out if or people will stop talking to me after this. But I don't think they. I mean, there's much uh here in miami for a michelin guide yet
1: i mean i could say that i've dined several places all over the states Mm -hmm. that have stars and i've been to several miami restaurants that are better
2: oh yeah absolutely can can Uh, can we expand just because i I think a lot of people maybe are aware of restaurants that have stars uh but are not quite aware of what a guide looks like and what that threshold is like for you what do you imagine the threshold is of? There would need to be X number of places yeah, to I mean, justify a guide. If you
0: want to have a guide, it's it's a guide. It's not like a ten top ten. Re- I mean, yeah, of course, there's ten, fifteen restaurants that could be in th- that guide. Right. But fifteen restaurants don't make a uh, Michelin guide for a city. I mean.
1: Well, how many how many stars do you think Naomi would get? Two. I mean that's. That's still very yeah, good. Yeah, I think... I, I don't think... I mean,
0: I think Surf Club is a solid two-star. <laughs> um, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I went to L'atelier. It's... L'atelier it's it's good, but it's... I mean, again, it's... It's not like a three or two Michelin star uh, restaurant, even though I think in New York it's two. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We can talk about
1: this... Uh, Lot. I don't I mean, know I, I don't know if Miami has any three stars no, in it.
0: I don't I mean I don't think so. I mean you look at and even some three restaurant three Michelin stars in New York are not they don't deserve three stars. Hmm. Um but yeah I think we probably have a couple of two star we have a bunch of one star.
1: I believe that too. Yeah.
0: But do they make up a guide? I don't know. I mean even like you look at the guide, like Washington guide, yeah, and half of it is like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's great they're there, but they just like filling pages.
1: I, I feel like there's, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? Because obviously, like our our goals internally are to win stars. Absolutely. Um, I think that's like the the benchmark that we use as a company. Like we. Uh, follow guidelines as per a one or two star Michelin place yeah um, but there needs to be a jump off point in order in order to believe that there's chances for three you need to get them here first
0: absolutely and the other thing is the the fact that the, the Michelin guides are tied to cities right and I don't know maybe you know this I, I, is there a three Michelin Star restaurant, like in the middle of nowhere, that, where there's no. There's a good chance. Yeah, I mean. Yeah,
1: there, I mean, I mean, you traveled more than I have, yeah. but there's definitely a good chance that there's a three-star Michelin restaurant in the middle of nowhere that nobody knows about.
0: Yeah, but they are attached to a to a region, even like to the Basque uh, country or to Napa, right? Uh, like,
1: uh, I you know when I was uh, the only time I've ever been in Europe, and we're in like the countryside of Spain, uh, went to this small. It was just like Michelin recommended, uh-huh. Bib Gourmand, and um, it that the meal that I had there was better than several one-star Michelin re- restaurants. And it, but that's because it was just like simple, honest food. It was like in a shack, yeah, in Rioja, like just like, and it was like croquetas and jamon and you know like very simple food. I had like a stew with tripe and yeah, but it was very simple.
0: But yeah, but how do you like let's say. Let's say there's two two-star Michelin restaurants in Miami and eight one-star. Unless the city guide opens here, those restaurants will get won't get those stars because Michelin is not in Miami. Right. So there should be a way where those restaurants are recognized without having like a formal Michelin uh, guide. I mean, I don't know. Um,
2: uh- I'll I'll throw out an an idea. Uh-huh. I think one of the failings of the Michelin Guide is that because it has its roots in Europe. I mean, for those who are not necessarily aware Michelin is the, the Michelin Guide is a little bit like the Michelin uh, dining equivalent of AAA's yeah, guides that are telling you where to find the Six Flags. Absolutely, or, <coughs> that's at, you know where it had its origins, but in Europe, I think one of the failings of it is that. In translating that to America Travel in the US Does not function the same way
3: Absolutely.
2: Travel in the US, there's nothing in Europe That even remotely resembles The interstate highway system here Where somebody from Miami May very well on a whim Decide to drive halfway across A massive country And have all of these incredible experiences Along the way, but the guide is not built For uh, Or it doesn't have its origins In uh, an infrastructure like that
0: especially Miami, we're in this cone, like, we need to drive eight hours north before we start seeing the country. So yes. (laughs) Yeah. And and that works both ways too, like, uh, like,
2: yeah, how many people pass through Miami on their way to the Keys? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that's
0: unfair for Miami because I don't think there's, I don't think there's the mass uh, required for a Michelin guide in the city, even though there's There are some restaurants that deserve two or one star.
1: Agreed. Great. That's really where I wanted to get to. I wanted to ask your (laughs) opinion and I forgot about that. That's good. I think if just my overall opinion obviously as someone that aspires to have stars and I'm fortunate enough to know people that have won them and they deserve them and I think that their food is incredible and I think uh, that it's done great things for their team at least confidence wise their food their but operation it's a way to
0: attract talented people and all that yeah
1: I mean you know uh, at the end of the day a lot of the people that I've communicated with are business owners and they've been you know you see the difference obviously yeah you know so and, and is the
0: guy coming here
1: I mean I don't know Yeah, I have heard rumors but all I can say is that we're ready for him when oh, they get absolutely. here I mean that's i think me and several other people like me are all ready for them and i i I, the reason why i want that for us as a city Mm -hmm. is because i think that nothing but continues to solidify our growth as a food destination absolutely because as a tourism hotspot air quotes being used Uh, it's a tourism hotspot for so many other things that I don't find value in. Absolutely. And the the lack of the value is the fact that there's lack of substance. There is substance in food because food is deep-rooted in community and it's deep-rooted in people. Yeah. We sit down, we have dinner, we have drinks, whatever. That's what food and drinks are all about. Absolutely. It's about getting to know about the people around you, either that you've known for years or that you don't know. So... I think that that's why I'm very into it for us as a whole. It's continuing to push the envelope as in like how far we can drive each other to get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I and I say this to my staff often. is like they we they can never come. Yeah. It doesn't really matter to me. But this is the standard that we withhold.
0: Yeah. But even before Michelin, uh, I think we are ready and we've been ready for some James Beard like for a long time and uh, i mean let's not even get me going yeah exactly that. so even like <laughs> before getting into, into Michelin, like why we don't have like a stronger presence in the, i in think the a, a lot a
1: lot of reasons go into that though i mean the it's very it's dumbfounding to me why the florida portion of the country is along with three other states exactly but then california is by itself it, that like it don't make any sense to me i mean like there's so many and so many people that are not even in this city that deserved beard awards previously yeah whether it be in west palm or in orlando because brandon mcglamoury has been very good for a very long time um and other people in central florida you know like there and it's it's also the way that the voting happens. New Orleans keeps winning. Then they keep getting more votes. Like, yeah. Listen, I, I get it. It's cute. Like, there's a good sandwich shop there. doesn't mean that they, that they belong, like, on kind of, like, the level of some of the other things Absolutely. that other people are doing. And I've been there several times, and it's fucking great. But I still don't fucking get that. And to me, I'll never get that. And listen, I'm, I'm part of the people that was nominated, and I love that for myself and for my team but at the same time it doesn't totally make sense to me
0: doesn't at all
1: and like but a lot of that falls on certain parts of Miami to become more involved with getting Miami for, like pushing Miami further onto that map mm. and those those things are people like the GMCVBs of the world and former winners which obviously Norman has been very vocal Michael has been decently vocal Michelle like those people, you know like we need them to stand up for the city and for the younger part of the city Absolutely. so we can continue to make our name and to make our way. But even they could scream at the high heavens if the GMCVB continues to sit on their fucking hands and not do shit and only push things like Miami Spice, which is essentially the dollar menu of food, then we're never going to get fucking anywhere. It's going to we're just going to be a, we're just going to be running our fucking heads up against the wall and then you're going to have a lot of People like myself and younger people also grinding it out for f- absolutely fucking nothing. Because there's nobody that uh, above, uh, I wouldn't even say above, but just in different roles of us that don't really care about the same shit that we care about. Don't. You know? So that's a whole, we could talk for another six <laughs> hours about that. Ser- I mean, you know, like, at the end of it all, did we get into this? Do you get into dining and what you've done with food? Did I get into cooking for awards? No, but I'm a competitor at heart. Absolutely. You know, like, I'm into the competition. I'm into, you know, being proud of my city. I'm very proud of my city. And I think that the last beer nominations showed how far we've come. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of great things there. And I was very proud to be a part of that group. But the fact that the finalist list didn't have one person from Miami. Uh, It's... It's yeah. asinine to me, and I thought it was like I, I didn't understand it. But you we'll know, get there.
0: We'll. I mean, I mean, I'm sure we have to. We we got what it what it's needed, and I think it will eventually happen. I mean, it has to.
1: I'm I'm all for to keep grinding it out, and I'll keep grinding <laughs> it out for the next 25 years. I don't really care. <laughs> you know, all right. I'll keep on being loud about it. Also, in the process,
0: yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: And now. Wind Downs our... from the Balticler himself.
2: Oh, now I'm the ball tickler. You are talking into the Balticler. Uh, this is where we do our parting recommendations for real. Um, everybody recommends a thing. As long as it's not yours, it can be a movie, a book, a meal, a travel destination, absolutely anything. Nidal, would you like some time to think about it? or do uh, you wanna, uh... No, no,
0: that's fine. I was okay. just uh, looking at the name of the book to get it right. Uh, recommendations. Well... I just mentioned, and again, this is just random thoughts. If you mm-hmm. want to get decent Lebanese food in Miami, finally go to McDo's in Midtown. Uh, I'm finishing uh, Andrew Friedman's uh, book, uh, "Chef Drugs, and, and Rock and Roll. It helps you understand well, many of the things that we've been talking about, like where we come from uh, as a food industry in, uh, in the U.S., uh and yeah yeah that's that's good recommendation that oh and you the can band? recommend
2: re- restaurants yeah, oh. sure. yeah do it go for it
0: what,
2: uh, oh okay yeah so the, uh sorry were you saying if you uh, could like recommend a music band or something sure if you whatever want. you want yeah, yeah. And
0: the, the flaming lips and the lips and the pixies always there you go <laughs> i love that
2: yeah <laughs> nick what do you got I have two recommendations. One is a YouTube channel. If um, if you are into woodworking, either <laughs> for purposes of working wood or just to watch somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, an old cigar industry acquaintance of mine a while ago uh, transitioned full time to being a YouTuber woodworker. Okay, uh, and that's I, interesting. I have watched more of this guy than makes any kind of sense because the last I have never so much as stained a chair without fucking it up. Uh, But his YouTube channel is Crafted Workshop. Uh, He's now somewhere in the Carolinas. Used to work for Drew Estate, which is how I know him. Uh, But super interesting stuff. Very engaging videos. And if you find some kind of satisfaction in watching somebody build a thing, whether it's like he's building a uh, not-so-tiny house is what he's calling it now. And it's the whole process, the cabinetry, the houses, all the stuff. Very cool. And the other one... uh, uh, years and years ago, when Barack Obama was visiting Cuba, I was on SportsCenter uh, talking about Cuba things, and I was interviewed by Max Bretos, uh, whose main beat was soccer, and I'm recommending, uh, he's a Miami guy, he's now in California, he's the voice of LAFC, uh, but he has a soccer podcast called The Soccer OG. Uh, if you're a soccer cool. fan, Max Bretos is a Miami guy with a soccer podcast. I'll check the soccer OG is the podcast. Those are my two recommendations.
0: Wow, and yours, Mike?
1: So, um, I just uh, I would recommend to if you haven't this movie from nineteen ninety four, I believe, and I rewatched it. Stargate, the Stargate. It's a great movie. It actually spun off into uh, fifteen seasons of sci fi shows. Which obviously I have dug back into, also which I've already watched as a young child. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. No, no. I... <laughs> no go, go, on, go, go ahead, go ahead, go <laughs> ahead. Finish, finish. Uh, <laughs> and I, I very much loved all the shows, and I loved the movie. But just good context, I love sci-fi and I love bad TV. So take that into consideration as you're watching this stuff. Okay, no, but talking the, about the TV
2: series was Stargate S S G One S G One. Yeah, it was talking about the group.
0: Talking about TV series, and I I think this might be old for some, but uh, I mean I come from tech, and I just like I finished it in a week, all three seasons of uh, Halt and Catch Fire. I've never seen that, dude. You have to watch it. Halt and Catch Fire. I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it well.
1: H A L T. Oh, halt and catch Ca- fire. Catch fire. What's it it's, on?
0: It's uh, it's on Netflix. Oh. Uh, but it's originally from FX and it's about, it started like in the early eighties with a personal computer. I mean, it's, uh, like drama and everything, but it's, uh, you watch uh, it in a week. Yeah. How many se-
3: seasons?
1: Three seasons. How many episodes? Uh, like 10 each. Oh man. No, you went in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You went in. That's I loved 30 it. episodes in a week. I, I, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. And that was your second time watching it. No, no. First time. Oh, first I, time. Okay. It's,
0: it's, I all, you were no, it's old, but I discovered it like oh. uh, two months ago.
1: I love that. Yeah. So another parting recommendation, I would, uh, recommend following, following a good friend of ours that his Instagram tag is feeling better bakers and through feeling better bakers, you can support the cause called no name mutual aid, uh, no name mutual aid supports, um, basically the whole thing is cooking for homeless shelters and for, um, uh, the community fridges that w- you know we did an episode on that previously and um, the team does that once one to two times a week they feed anywhere between 200 to 400 homeless every week wow. um, you know uh, us as a company we support the cause once a month and we cook with them once a month and um, but a good way to support the cause is they sell shirts the shirts range uh, at 20. Anything after 20 is an extreme donation. Um, basically, we raise enough money to already uh, cover the cost of the things that that are done. This is for, like, extra good stuff in a box. And how it works is we make anywhere between 70 to 90 individual meals. Wow. And then we do, like, hotel pants for shelters. And uh, then the team disperses them around the city. So um i would recommend following them buying a shirt the shirts are actually very cool um the day that this episode drops i will post a photo of myself in the shirt because i actually think the shirt is very cool mm-hmm. um they offer also for some reason for people who want that which i'm not into it tie-dye the shirt i just have a white one not my sneeze the tie-dye but uh yeah it's a great cause i think it should be supported and those are the kind of things that uh, i would love to recommend
2: um, and, oh, sorry, good. Go no,
0: I don't know if some people are watching this on video, some are not. Huh? But while you say this, you're wearing an amazing Chugs Diner yeah, t-shirt. Sure. So it's, like, yeah, I there
3: also
1: you. recommend staying tuned because Chugs sometime, will sometime in the next millennia actually open. So <laughs> that'll be great for everyone. I saw you recently acquired the correct lamps, so that's good. Oh, man, the fucking lamps. I don't know. I, I have to say that this is the first time I've actually done a build-out from scratch. Like, you know, trench the floor, change the plumbing, change the, like, the reinforcement of the beams. Chugs, the building is 100 years old, almost. Wow. It was built in 1926. Um, it was the first part of that whole, like, complex, and then they built around it. So it's wow. very old. So we had to change everything, the amount of electricity in there. It's just, it's been a lot. Obviously, the grease traps are all brand new. They were inspected and approved today, which is incredible. Um, but... I have learned that being a chef and being extremely detail-oriented is very bad for construction people because <laughs> it makes your life even more difficult, and it makes you want to pull all your hair out. But we did get the right lamps, finally. They don't look like garage lamps. And uh, the booths are there. A lot of the woodwork is done. Kitchen gets installed on Friday. Nice. It's uh, Furniture gets delivered at the end of next week. Outdoor furniture gets delivered in three weeks. Um the chef has already been hired. She's on property. Her name is Monica Dominguez. Um, you know, so good things are happening.
0: Looking forward to
1: it. Oh, man. Me too. Fucking A. Me too. <laughs> Nick, what you uh, you, got, you got anything else here? No. Uh, let's uh, do our shameless plugs. We'll let
2: Nida I'll go first. That's when you uh, go.
1: Glutonomy. Talk about
2: Glutonomy. Yeah. Tell, tell everybody where to find you and all of your glutonomy things. Glutonomy
0: is uh, <laughs> my agency. Uh, you can find us at glutonomy.com, double T, uh, at Glutonomy on Instagram or my personal Instagram, Nidal Barake. That's N-I-D-A-L-B-A-R-A-K-E. And yeah, check us out. Uh, actually, one thing that we're doing at Glutonomy that we're having so much fun is we're uh, publishing city guides. Oh. So we had Miami, Chicago, L.A., New York, uh I think what else? Uh, Nashville, and then we're doing some international ones. So yeah, just to share the places have, where we like to eat.
1: Talk about Nashville. I have some friends that do like a guys' trip to Nashville. Uh huh. I've never been. I
0: I have been three times. I I love it. I mean, yeah. I fell in love the first time
1: I went. Yeah, I've never been. i, I so I'd be using your city guide.
0: You have to. You yeah. have to go soon. Right. All right. Sounds good.
2: Mike, shameless plug all the things all the things yep. and here is where the sade ish song comes in
1: boom all the things i still gotta recommend all my shit i mean we've, been, we've done this 80 all times already the things, all the things all the things
3: all the things all the things
1: all the things
2: and now we're cutting back to some real plugs Um, we, uh, this is where I am super shameless. So I'm going to plug several Dade and punkum podcast related things. First, if you want to support what we're doing here, if you want to support what we're doing here, it's patreon.com slash Dade Mag. Now there are a bunch of ways that you can support it. By the way, the mug thing has been changed. It used to be because this was all Patreon allowed us to do. That if you pledged a certain amount, after three months you got a mug and then you were just sort of like lingering in muglessness for a long time. Wow. Now you'll get a mug every quarter.
1: Wow, every quarter. Every quarter. Four, Man, so people are going to hit four mugs a year. Four mugs a year. It seems and there, excessive.
2: And there are two mugs. So once you have your four PanCon podcast logo mugs out of the way, you can switch to another tier and get day logo mugs. And we're going to keep adding mugs. There's going to be mugs everywhere.
1: What are these people going to do with all these mugs? A lot of coffee.
2: Yeah. We're going to have the most caffeinated
1: listeners We're going to have so many mugs on eBay oh, They're going to be selling them for like 50 cents a pop They're going
2: to be collector's items Crazy. Uh, the other thing you can get, there's another tier If you join, you get a monthly shipment Of Abuela Mami coffee yeah, That's pretty uh, cool So thanks to past guest Kiki Valdez Co-founder of Abuela Mami For helping us to make that happen That is a sort of limited tier There can be up to 25 coffee shipping people uh, So get in on that We have a coffee person now and like i said earlier a new mug person in in uh, sarah figueroa so there are things
1: happening it's crazy
2: things are happening on the patreon no
1: idea why people want to listen to this shit
2: also check out the the dade blind tasting series is back we have three new installments two of them with uh actually all three of them with people who work for area hospitality group I'm really mining... Good people, good people. I'm really mining this thing. So two of them are with one, Bobby Gillardi, who was once described by Deco Drive as a pop of fun. Uh, (laughs) He did a tasting with berry-flavored hard seltzers and another one with ready-to-drink mojitos. Spoiler alert, all the mojitos are awful. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, they are. But one of them was, like, passable. Um, And then Devin Braddock, uh, the corporate executive pastry chef at Aerial Hospitality Group, did a tasting with uh, freezer aisle ice cream sandwiches And she described one of them as being The best ice cream sandwich on the market I'm going to fill in for her the retail market Because I'm sure if she did one Which she might, I don't know, I don't know what Scoop is going to have on offer uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that will be better uh, But that one felt A little more useful than Bobby's Not It's not Bobby's fault, but like these are all awful Would you think? One of these ice cream sandwiches, I know because I keep all the leftovers In my freezer, was actually <laughs> very good uh, And most of the other ones were Trash Got uh, it, and then finally, get on YouTube, search Dade Mag one word D A D E M A G or Pan compa or whatever. Find our channel, subscribe to the thing, so you see all the videos. Just imagine how much better your life would be with hours and hours of Mike's face, uh, and occasional cameos from Petey the dog's tail. That's really it what it's all about. Yeah, uh, so check that out. Subscribe. It actually does do something for us. It helps. Uh, and, uh, and that's it. That's me being shameless for way too long. God,
1: so long. So shameless. Thanks for doing this, man. Oh, thank you. For I, I appreciate it. I really now, enjoyed it. Good. You're going to enjoy the lightning round that's going to come after this. <laughs> the people who pay, the five questions are coming up next. Hit them
2: with the horn. Beep. <laughs>
3: Thank you.